Let's get it going. Happy Monday. It is a Calgary Flames game day. Preseason game, six of eight for the Calgary Flames. They're back at home taking on the Winnipeg Jets with a very, very NHL-heavy lineup for the Calgary Flames. We'll get you lines and pairings coming up in just moments as we preview the Flames and the Jets from the Scotiabank Saddledome. We're here in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit them at dlbasementsystems.com. Lots of Flames and Jets talk coming your way on this Monday. Alongside my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. Quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Shoot us a text at 960-960, along with getting you set for the Flames and the Jets tonight. We'll also dive in with our Monday regular, Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca. Talk about another great weekend of football in the NFL and take a look at tonight's Monday night football matchup. And then later on in hour two, Matty Rose from the big show with Rustic and Rose going to join us. Talk about another disappointing weekend for the Calgary Stampeders who fell to the Hamilton Tiger Cats on Saturday. So lots to get to. We'll kick the show off, however, um, the way we've done it for the last couple of days and uh, recognize the the life and importance of Chris Snow. Sort of as if you've heard Pat on Flamestock and Wes and Vickers and everybody, you know, sort of holding off out of respect for, for Chris and his family, if you missed it. Over the weekend, Kelsey Snow on Saturday provided the update that uh, they'd hugged Chris for the last time, said their goodbyes. Uh, he donated his kidneys, liver, and lungs. Uh, and obviously, uh, before the game on Friday between the Flames and the Oilers, the Flames with a tremendous video for their friend and colleague, Chris Snow, and uh, just once again wanted to, to kick things off with Kelsey and the family, knowing that we're thinking about them. We're thinking about our friends in the flames organization today. And we're thinking about Chris and everything that he's done. Just the last couple of days have been for everybody. I think such a great reminder of what Chris meant as a person, as a husband, a father, as somebody that's championed this fight against ALS to see everybody come out with their stories. Wes Gilbertson, our colleague had a phenomenal one over the weekend about Chris, as so many others have. I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, to check them out and, and just read about this tremendous man. And uh, I, hope you're not, I hope you're not sad about it today. I hope we can take this as a chance to celebrate a human being who did so much good for the world and has gone uh, far too soon. So once again, we continue this week um, talking about the Calgary Flames, talking about sports and everything else. Uh, secondarily to uh, to the life and and memory of uh, of Chris Snow. Oh, we are kicking things off. No easy way to transition, but let's get into it. It's a game day for the Calgary Flames. Winnipeg is in town. Morning skate has been concluded at the Saddle Dome, and we've got quite the lines and pairings for you. Very NHL heavy for the Calgary Flames tonight. Of course, a hat tip to the host of Flames Talk and Flames Radio here on Sportsnet 960. The one and only Pat Steinberg. Here are your lines and pairings for this Monday night's game. Huberto, Lindholm, Manjapani. Ruzichka skating on a line with Kadri and Dubé once again. 
Yegor Sharangovich on the left side of Backlund and Coronado, while Cole, Blake Coleman on a line with Cole Schwint and Dryden Hunt. Mackenzie Weger on a pairing with Rasmus Anderson. Hannafin with Tanev. Zadorov with Osterley. Jacob Markstrom gets the start in goal. Ilya Solovov and Nick Simone were a pairing uh, at morning skate, but they skated late with the group. So it looks like they will not play tonight. So some really interesting changes there. Flames have put four players on waivers this morning. Oscar Dance, Colton Pullman, Ben Jones, and Clark Bishops. Uh, they will all be assigned to the American Hockey League's Calgary Wranglers if they clear. But let's talk about that opportunity from one Andrew Mangiapani on the top line with Huberto and Lindholm, a spot that so far throughout training camp has been reserved for Yegor Sharon Govich, but a chance for these last three games perhaps to give us a different look for this Flames forward group. And on, Andrew took a lot of heat last year, as did a lot of Flames players who had a down year, that the production hadn't matched perhaps a new contract for Andrew. He revealed to us this offseason that he dealt with a shoulder injury very on in the season last year that bugged him all year long. He had shoulder surgery in the offseason. Feels 100% and is ready to contribute. Well, what a spot it would be to find himself on the opening night lineup with Huberto and Lindholm. So that's something to watch for tonight. Continue to watch Adam Ruzichka with Kadri and Dubé. I've maintained throughout this training camp, this is a massive opportunity, I think, for, for Adam Ruzichka to find himself full-time work in the NHL. Consistency has been a big thing. He's shown that throughout training camp to this point. Another opportunity to make a bid for the opening night roster tonight for number 63. Interested by Sharon Govich, Backlund, Coronado as well. We'll get to see some of that versatility that we've heard so much about from Sharon Govich as he'll be on the left side instead of the right side that he was playing with Huberto and Lindholm. He's got penalty kill experience. He's got defensive experience. So him and Backlund could be a very interesting pairing. We'll see how Coronado fits in as he uh, continues to fight for a roster spot as well. And let's be honest, pretty much a NHL-ready top six for the Calgary Flames tonight. I would assume that Ryan Huska is looking for a very solid uh, performance from his top six because this is very easily the six that we could see, speaking of the Winnipeg Jets, opening night October 11th when these Jets are back in Calgary for the home opener. Uyghur Anderson, Hanef, and Tanev. Zadorov, Osterley. Osterley's looked like pretty much since day one of camp when we found out Oliver Shillington wasn't going to be joining the team off the bat, that Osterley looked like the guy that was going to fit into that spot, adding an injury to Dennis Gilbert, and sure looks like that number six role right now is Jordan Osterley's to lose. So we'll get another look at the Calgary Flames D-pairings tonight. And again, Jacob Markstrom. Your starting goaltender. Let's head to the Scotiabank Saddledome. Big game for the Calgary Flames tonight as they're getting set for the regular season. They've got the opponent that they'll see when they open the regular season October 11th. Let's check in with the head coach, Ryan Huska. He spoke to the media following morning skate on a game day this Monday. Coach, what, uh, as you as you enter this final week of preseason games, what, what's the expectation for your group in terms of maybe that next step or that next level you're looking to see as we get closer to regular season? Yeah, I mean, we have our – you look at our roster that we're addressing today, I think we want to get to the point where we're starting to see the pace or the tempo that the team has to play with. You want to see the habits that you expect them to play with. So you, f- you fully understand that this is the time of year where players are getting their game going, but – 
Um, now's the time to get it going. So they're all basically in there for a reason. This is our last home exhibition game. Um, and then we have two more on the road from there. So you want to feel good about when you hit the ice on October 11th, and this is a big part of it. Oscar, you, how would you, I think you've talked about it in the past, but what is your identity that you're hoping to get, and are you seeing your group sort of playing to it yet? Yeah, yes and no. You know, I guess if you look at the game in Winnipeg, um, and there was a lot of young guys in that game for us, and it was very evident how hard the young guys worked. Uh, that's what we need out of everybody. So they were skating and they were pressuring and they were forcing people into mistakes. So I guess having a mindset that you should never give up on a puck, you should never stop your feet from moving. You have to have um, the mindset that we're going we're gonna to make it difficult on teams so they will have no room on the ice. And a lot of that we saw in Winnipeg, didn't see much of it against Edmonton, so we want to see a lot more of that here tonight. A fast team by your identity? Um, I think we're a fast team with the way we can play the game, with the way our guys think it. So we may not have burners. If you classify it like Dylan Dubay as a guy that can burn, like he can really skate. We may not have a, a ton of guys that are in Dylan's category, um, but a lot of playing fast is mindset. So the game against Edmonton, our D-men were slow in regards to not their feet necessarily, but how they move the puck. So when you see a, our team in particular going D to D all the time, they're slow. And that's something that we have to try to get them to understand. And a lot of that is mindset. We were just talking to Mackenzie Weger, and, and he said that all six defensemen have a green light to jump in the yeah. rush. Um, I mean, I guess, is that true? And I mean, is there any differentiation between who you want jumping in the rush? And who you as, as long as there's purpose to it, like you don't, just jump for no reason like if there's a confrontation on the half wall and you have a defenseman that's outside the blue line already it doesn't make a lot of sense so those situations are a no-go but they all have green light in regards to making the proper reads and getting themselves involved and active for sure and we feel like one of the strengths of our team is our back end and their ability to skate and their ability to move the puck and their ability to see the game so we want to give them that but they have to understand situations too like Chris Tanev, I mean, you referred to him yeah. as one of the best defensive defensemen in the league, but yeah. you, you're, you're totally comfortable with him, obviously, jumping in, getting, getting involved up there. He might be one of our best. Like, if you really were to watch the guys in the back end when they pick and choose the times to go, Chris typically goes at the right time all the time. Um, and that goes to the way he thinks and sees the game. Sometimes you have to ratchet other guys back a little bit because they get so eager to get themselves up that they make the wrong decision to go and they expose or open ourselves up in front of our net, something like that. Chris isn't one of those guys. Chris um, understands that it's almost defend first, and then when I have the opportunity to go, I'll go. Yeah. When it's done well, like when it's done well, how, how important is that second wave of offense, that, that trailing guy, or, or could be, I guess, in this case, the defenseman? Yeah. Or two if the defenseman is up that far. Um, it, it is very important now because of the way teams play. I mean, everybody tracks really hard. Remember how they used to get in the zone and delay and always hit late? Man, there's, you don't see a lot of that anymore um, because all teams are, are being taught and worked with on coming back as hard as they can. So the gap from behind is as important as the gap that you expect your D-man to hold. So you really want to squeeze teams. So you have to find a way to drive defensemen back, and then you have to create a second wave once that, that gap has been created and the D-man feel a big part of that. Yeah. Are you seeing the right things from Ruzichka so far in camp? Um, getting there. You know, like There's still inconsistencies, and I, I think for, 
for Rosie, like you can see some moments with the plays that he can make on a power play coming downhill when he's protecting a puck down low, like he is a big man. And we're all salivating for big men that have skills. Um, so we're really driving Rosie to be consistent and take a lot of pride in being consistent. So, you, you know, the mantra for Rosie could be like consistency is cool. Um, we want him to really take pride in that because he's got a skill set that not a lot of guys don't have. And when you couple that with the size that he has, um, the package is really nice. So we really want to see him push himself and try to find another level. Can you, can you just follow that up and explain what consistency for Adam needs to look like? Yeah. Um, you know, when I mentioned the guys in Winnipeg, how hard they were um, trying to get up the ice, how hard they were coming back, creating turnovers, that's what it needs to be for him. So he needs to move his feet hard all the time. And then once he gets pucks, he needs to hold on to them and make good plays with them. Um, people talk about firm. Firm means different things for different guys. Some guys are physical and they're going to hit you hard. Um, some guys are tougher guys. Some guys like Adam have to be firm in regards so you're not taking the puck from him. That's that's when he's at his best, when he holds onto it and protects it and finds open men or goes to the net himself where he's willing to throw a defenseman on his back. For Dryden Hunt. Yeah. Dryden's been really good in the games that he's played so far. So, you know, he's getting an opportunity right now um, because he deserves it the way he's played like I think he understands the role that we're asking him to play he is one of the not necessarily younger guys with his age per se but he is an energy guy for us and each night he's played in he's been noticeable on the ice playing the right way and he's been able to chip in with some offense so um, he's been good and we need him to continue to push he kind of has talked about the idea that he wants to go out there and be a player that I think you know paraphrasing that you can trust you trust him out there you know he's been here before yeah and he's please played you know, he's played in a lot of games in the NHL too before, so he understands um, you don't have to make a play all the time. You have to make the right play that puts your team in a good position. So he's he's done a good job of that so far. And over here, I think they're used to seeing sort of a blue-collar, dump-and-chase workman-like team. Do you do you get a sense that the identity is shifting to that more speed-based game? Like, how do you view view those two sort of contrasts? I don't know. Um, I think there's... Uh, Smart hockey is sometimes you do put the puck in, sometimes you carry it in. I mean, that's really the decisions that we have to get our guys to understand. The last game against Edmonton, we had 24 turnovers of the blue lines. That's not winning hockey. And if they would have had their seven forwards in the lineup, we would have lost that game in a big, big way. Um, so getting them to understand the difference between trying to play through someone or making the right play and putting the puck behind them and being willing to go and get it, that's a big thing for our group to understand. And there's been there's been so much kind of hubbub in this city about Matt Coronado, and then he goes and gets a hat trick, and yeah. it ratchets up a little more. I'm just curious, how have you seen him sort of handle the spotlight and the attention and everything that comes with being, you know, one of the top prospects and the exciting guys in an organization? Yeah, I, I feel he was wound up tight in Penticton, um, but now, like we saw out of him last year, he's kind of a cool cucumber. Like we call him Dylan's twin brother, Dylan Dubay. They look the same, and he just giggles when he walks around with them. Um, and he's, I think he's enjoying it. I think he's really enjoying himself right now. Um, he's trying to play the right way every shift. So um, you talk about young guys when they're in the lineup, they will go as hard as they possibly can because they want to stay here. We want our whole team to have that type of mentality that they're they all need to play like a young guy does, and, and Matt's a great example of that. He's he's working, so in the games that he hasn't generated, he's still been effective with the way he's worked. 
What does Cole Schwent have to do to be a, an everyday or an NHLer? Yeah. Consistency. He's got to be good on his faceoffs is one big thing. Um, we like the body and the size that he has, and he has to be, as mentioned earlier, someone that's trustworthy on the ice in, in certain situations. So um, another guy with some of the injuries that unfortunately we've had, the doors opened a little bit further for him, so now it's up to him. Yeah. Flames head coach, head coach Ryan Huska on a game day. Flames and Jets, 7 p.m. puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call. Pat Steinberg has your Flames warm-up at 6 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan lots there with the head coach. Defensive zone issues. I don't want to say issues maybe, but things to correct. That fast pace, move the puck out of the zone mentality that this group has had. Maybe didn't execute that as well against Edmonton as you heard from Ryan there. You got the top six in tonight. You'll get a good view of how these guys are handling those changes with your top six inning Cheller defenseman in there tonight. I'm excited to watch that against this Jets team. Bit on Matt Coronado, Cole Schwint as well. You'll see both of those guys tonight in this game against Winnipeg. Uh, one of the big guys on the defense, of course, Mackenzie Weger. He's back on a pairing with Rasmus Anderson. He's excited for another opportunity as the uh, Flames get closer to opening night. He spoke to the media on Monday as well. Following morning skate. We're just uh, asking Noah, but I mean, you get into that final week of preseason, it kind of feels like the more dry rehearsal in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, guys, the lineup closer to what we'll see in the regular season. What does it feel like in here? Feels great. Uh, I think guys are excited for the season to start, but um, got a couple more games to, you know, uh, kind of clean a couple things up, get used to some of the, more of the systems, and, um, you know, just get that compete level back up and high. Is it close? Do you feel like you're, you're I mean, imagine you're kind of into this point of uh, the preseason, but feel like you're, you're pretty much there? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a little weird. I've only played a game and a half, so um, <laughs> I think tonight will be another great game for me to get my, um, you know, everything going, you know, my feet going, my brain, you know, more aware out there, um, you know, get that, just that compete level up for me and, um, you know, you know, ultimately get those two points you know they're big you know coming off a great preseason going into the season you want to feel great so um you know for me i feel good um you know i'm having a lot of fun my body feels great so uh, i'm ready to get this thing going thanks uh, Andy was just talking about the um the identity of this team one of the components would be the speed we haven't mm-hmm. typically sort of seen the calgary flames or sort of looked at that team as a fast team but with the, the system maybe changed defensively but also the personnel here do you start to think that maybe this team is a little bit more built for the speed game yeah i think there's a lot of fast guys in the room but i think ultimately for us is you know moving the puck fast you know creating that speed um, as d-man you want to get up you, you want to get the puck to the forge as fast as you can get them going north um you know we just our transition game needs to be a lot faster and, and force the force to be fast because we know we know we can they can play fast sorry and um, yeah I think there's a lot of guys in that room that want to play fast and you know catch guys on a bad change or catch guys sleeping or being lazy and stuff like that so for us that's what it's about as D-man getting those pucks as fast as we can in those forwards and creating that speed so it is kind of a combo of system mm-hmm. and yeah personnel. both for yeah. sure absolutely how, how, as a D-man though it seems like that would be right in your wheelhouse I mean in terms yeah. of making sure you're playing quick but also allowing you that chance to kind of be part of that next wave of offense Absolutely. I think, you know, Husky's been big on that. Even in practice, we've been, you know, shooting the puck a lot more, getting up in the rush in practice. And I think that's big. I mean, if 
in the NHL right now, you see a lot more, you know, D creating a lot more offense, getting up in the rush. I think for us, it's about the reads, you know, as D partners, you know, you, you know, you can join in the rush, you know, I can stay back, and um, you know, it's it's about just creating that offense as D and, and being good partners to each other. You know, one guy's got to break it out, but the other guy can join. And, uh, just making those reads, and I think that's big for our team because you know you have six D men that want to be up in the rush at all times. How, how much does like zone versus man help an offense? We kind of think of it as purely in the defensive zone, but how does that affect? sort of play in the neutral zone and in the offensive zone yeah i mean it's huge um it's it's different the, the zones you know sort of taking some time to get used to i think for some guys it's it's um it's just a different system it's it's a little bit more passive at times but you still want to create you know killing plays as fast as you can uh and getting the puck like like we said up to the forwards and then creating that fourth man uh that d man to jump up in the rush um that's huge for us but we have to be able to kill those plays as fast as we can or you know we'll just keep guys to the outside and um you know not let them create you know those great eight chances in the slot you already sort of said it but all six guys have the green light to get up there and yeah absolutely i don't think um you know there's no one guy that really wants to be, you know, a true, true stay-at-home D-man. I mean, we can all play D back there. We all know how to play a good, solid D. But um, everybody wants to get up there and, and create some offense, I think. You know, especially in our division, we got a tough division. we got a lot of guys in this division that, you know, a lot of teams in this division that want, can score goals and generate a lot of offense. So, you know, we got to compete with those teams and, and create just as much offense as those teams. And, um, you know, I mean, you can see Big Z. He, he wants to get up there as much as he can. And I know Tanny, you know, everybody thinks he's a you know, true stay-at-home D-man, but he can create a lot of offense up there. He's still got a lot of foot speed. He gets up there in the rush. And, you know, I, I truly believe that all six guys uh, get up there and have the green light to get up there. For you, but can you compare the differences for this year where you're learning about a new pace of play compared to last year where you're on a new team, you're adjusting to new surroundings and a whole other different style of play. How would you describe those differences from last year to this year in terms of where you're at in the season now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of guys just feel a lot looser, longer leashes. Um, you know, like he said, the green light to get up there. Um, but we just have to be smart about it. I don't think there's there's not too much of a different a difference other than a lot of guys just, um, you know, being on longer leashes and, and having, you know, maybe a lot more fun or, or fresh starts or however you want to put it. Um, but everybody just has a great feeling around this, uh, around the locker room this year. And, and I think everybody's just a little bit more excited to get things started this year. So defending, say, a star like McDavid or Drysdale now compared to last season with the new system, just how different would that be in terms of what you're trying to do there? Yeah, I mean, it's just the zone coverage. Uh, it's not chasing him all over the ice or chasing Drysdale all over the ice. It's just it's going to come down to a lot of communication with the, the centerman and the D-man. Um, but like I said, you, you just try to keep those guys to the outside as much as you can and not let them get on the inside and create those great A chances. Flames defenseman Mackenzie Weger. He's back on a pairing with Rasmus Anderson for tonight's matchup against the Winnipeg Jets. Again, 6 o'clock Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. 7 o'clock puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Lots of uh, fresh faces still in camp with the Calgary Flames. We're asking you on our social medias this afternoon which Flames player has impressed you most during the Flames preseason. Uh, head to our Sportsnet 960 pages on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know who you think has been the most impressive Flames player to this point. A quick reminder, uh, tune in uh, to Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Cassiero Diablo. Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford 
where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casio Del Diablo available at AGLC stores. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CassieroManchester.com. We're going to switch things over from hockey to football next. Another Sunday NFL schedule in the books. Just got a Monday nighter between the Giants and the Seahawks left for Monday night football. We'll check in with our Monday regular Emily Sadler to break it all down next as Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Another week of NFL action in the books. All that's left is a Monday nighter. We'll head to New York for the Giants and the Seahawks. Seahawks 2-1, and one, Giants 1-2. One and two. It's a 6-15 kickoff from MetLife Stadium to close out week four of the NFL season. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Very pleased to go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline right now to help us break down another week of NFL action. She's our Monday regular and from Sportsnet.ca. It is Emily Sadler. Happy Monday, Emily. How are you? Hi, I'm good. It's great to be back with you. I've been enjoying our Monday football chat. Yes, me too. It's always exciting to break down everything we saw. We had a lot to get through again on Sunday. Uh, do you have a favorite moment? Do you have a favorite game that came from Sunday, Emily? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I know the game that I was most excited about was Bill's Dolphins, um, which, you know, it started out as I thought it might go, <laughs> didn't exactly end that way. Um, overall, I feel like it was it was a pretty decent Sunday. I mean, after last week where there were a few more of those like really lopsided wins, this one this one kind of made things interesting. So I, that's kind of a cop out answer. I'm like all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, anything was good. But yeah, uh, you wrote about that Bills uh, Dolphins matchup on your article at Sportsnet.ca, and uh, I think that was probably the game that everyone was most looking forward to. The Dolphins For had sure. that big. 70-point explosion against the Broncos, but kind of brought back to reality and the Bills kind of reminding everybody that, hey, we're still in this division too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe with the exception of the 49ers, like you look at the Bills and I don't know if there's a more complete team. And we definitely saw that yesterday. It was, as I just mentioned, and as everyone saw, you know, the first half, it looked like this was going to be just a total shootout. Like first five drives all resulted in touchdowns. It just felt like, you know, just score after score after score. Um, And then we saw things change at the half. And that's when we saw the Bills defense kind of step in um, and really kind of put a stop to that Miami defense really, really effectively while Josh Allen just, I mean, he was phenomenal. Um, He had a perfect passer rating. He completed 21 of 24 passes. He threw four touchdown passes, ran for a fifth. He'd never turned the ball over. Like it was just, that's the Josh Allen that I think everyone kind of expected to see more of this season so far. And so to see what he's done over the last three weeks, there's definitely a trend that like, okay, Allen is just fine. Week one was, was a blip, right? Um, If you look at his last three games, which as we know, have all been Bill's wins. He's had a touchdown pass to interception ratio of, eight to one he's got two rushing touchdowns he's completed like more than three quarters of his passes and he is this is probably the most important part he's fumbled the ball zero times he's held onto the ball he's kept it safe he hasn't gone for those you know big plays that just aren't there um and he's just been really really impressive um and then obviously the bills defense just i can't really say enough good things about them in that game which almost feels funny right because they they actually allowed a lot of yardage, but yeah. that just, I think, speaks to how 
how good that Dolphins offense is. But, you know, pressuring Tua, which if we know anything about Tua, it's that he has a really, really quick release time, just sort of goes to show, you know, they sacked him four times. It just goes to show how fast that unit is with the pressure. And that's without Von Miller. So um, definitely looking at the Bills, it's like I'm not really sure who can stop them now. Yeah, now that they're both at 3-1, and one, it's going to be a really interesting race uh, throughout the season. Can't wait for those two to match up again in a couple weeks' time. Uh, one of the teams that I think we came into the regular season probably expecting to be where the Bills and the Dolphins are were the Cincinnati Bengals. And you and me have talked a lot about Cincy this year, starting with that Joe Burrow injury, the bad start to Week 1, and we talked last week heading into the Monday Nighter how big of a deal it was for them to not go 0-4. Well, they saved their season, maybe, but they fell to the Titans pretty badly this weekend, 27-3. to uh, It's the second time now that they've managed just three points on offense this season, and now T. Higgins is hurt. Seems like Jamar Chase isn't overly happy with how things are going either. It's kind of been a nightmare start for the Bengals at 1-3. and three. It totally has, and it's kind of... It's almost funny how last week we're, we were like, yay, they saved their season. They're not going to be 0-3. And then it was almost like regression was not even a possibility. And then, yes, as here they are um, kind of doing just that. And I think there's it, – it's so hard to kind of almost just like pinpoint like – what what is wrong with this offense? Yeah. You can sort of you can point to the stats, of course, of like, you know, looking at Joe Burrow, he has um, one of the fewest like yards per attempt through four weeks. He's thrown the ball 151 times, which is actually the third most in the league. But his total passing yards is nowhere near the top of the league. His completion percentage is is brutal. Um, it's worse than Zach Wilson, and you know how I feel about Zach Wilson, despite. <laughs> despite <laughs> he was really impressive last night. Yeah. But, you know, he's worse than Mac Jones and Justin Fields. Like, this is not the Joe Burrow that we're used to seeing. He's playing like he's only kind of, like, just met his wide receivers. Yeah. It's just, it's it's kind of a mystery as to, like, where is this chemistry? You know, this is a team, as we know, that they made it to the AFC Championship last year. They made it to the Super Bowl the year before. And all they've done since is gotten better on paper. And so it's just a real head scratcher as to what is going on. Um, and I, I just out of curiosity was looking at their next kind of slate of games. So they have the Cardinals next week, which at this point, I, do you trust them to take care of the Cardinals? Not really, I, no. I don't, the way that they've been playing yeah. um, and the way the Cardinals have been playing. Um, and then they host the Seahawks, and then they have what is going to be a really, really important bye week because after that they have the 49ers and the bills so like if they can't kind of pick up their pace a little bit i hate to say like the season's over but i'm not really sure how you kind of come back from that it kind of feels like they've got to be three and three heading into their bye and you're right i mean the cardinals team didn't hasn't really you know backed off on anybody even the 49ers yesterday they put up a good fight Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to rule out anything with Seattle. They've been a pretty good team themselves. So, yeah, it's that doesn't look great. You feel like they could use that buy a little bit sooner, like one of those week five buys. Yeah. But right now, you're right, a big preparation week for them as they get used to it. it. Just You're right, it just feels so out of sync for a team that's not that different. I mean, the faces, I know, uh, you know, a guy like Samaje P. Ryan's gone somewhere else, but, I mean, it's the usual faces in Cincinnati. Exactly. It just it doesn't feel like it's working for whatever reason. 
Yeah, exactly. And I know I know that as we've talked about before and as everyone's talking about that calf injury for Joe Burrow, like that's obviously affecting him and it and I think it's hard to sort of pinpoint how exactly it's affected him because when you look at Burrow, like this is not a guy who, you know, routinely runs. Like he yeah. his he excels at his passing game, at his vision. And so I think it's sort of unexpected to see it um hit his accuracy in this way and just the chemistry and so definitely like maybe it's just you know one of those weird mysteries of football (laughs) that we get every so often right that's like something is not clicking and something needs to change um but yeah it just it just feels like such a mystery to me uh one team that's looked pretty good we've talked lots about them so far and lots of reason to talk about them again on sunday uh, the Dallas Cowboys have been just blowout after blowout. If you take out that loss to the Arizona Cardinals, which had everybody freaking out last week, this has been a, uh, a Cowboys team that's looked pretty good. Worst loss in Bill Belichick's career. Uh, I was reading on your article at sportsnet.ca there, Emily, and uh, we've talked a lot about them, but it feels like next week now is going to be our first real test for this Cowboys team. I don't want to discount anybody, the Giants and the Patriots. I know they're, they're around it, but it feels like a really good opportunity for Dallas to make a lot of noise if they can continue some of this good play into next week against San Fran. Yeah, for sure. I think this bounce back, like, it obviously couldn't have come at a better time. And I think this is a case of, okay, they are who we thought they were. Yeah. Um, and I think, frankly, you can say that about both sides, uh, both teams in, in yesterday's game, the Patriots, their offense is as flat as we thought it would be. And the Dallas defense is just as dominant as we saw in the first two games. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's not, there's almost not much to say about this defense that is not just like heaping praise on them. <laughs> um, they're just the amount of pressure they can apply. The amount of turnovers that they force is, is just super, super impressive. They had two defensive touchdowns against the Patriots yesterday. And they did this without Trayvon Diggs, as we know, and with Micah Parsons kind of maybe dealing with an injury that kind of saw him in and out. But I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who was kind of uh, kind of worried there for a minute yeah. that he was going to be out. But he, you know, finished the game. Um, yeah, I mean, Dallas has shut down. So in their three wins, their wins have come by a combined score of 108 to 13, which is crazy. Just a, a small <laughs> like, gap there. Third, yeah, just like a little bit of a yeah. difference. This is their third time limiting an opponent to 10 or fewer points, which, as we know, they shut out the Giants. Um, so that definitely skews things. Huh. But, yeah, it, it's just it's really astounding. And then when you put Dak Prescott at the helm of the offense, who, you know, he's been playing really well. Obviously, that's overshadowed. Um, by how well the defense is playing. But I also think he's kind of the perfect quarterback for this team because he's okay with that. He had a quote yesterday that was like, hey, if the defense wants to keep scoring, I'm good with that. I'll just I'll just sit back and watch. So I think it's like the kind of this perfect equation. Um, and if the defense can keep doing what they did yesterday and what they did in the first two weeks, like they, they can take this team all the way, in my opinion. 100%. We're trying with Emily Sadler. From Sportsnet.ca, her NFL Week 4 takeaways are up at Sportsnet.ca, and she's joining us, uh, as she always does on Mondays, to go through the Sunday NFL slate. Uh, one guy I'm really excited to talk about, uh, you had it in your article as well, but 
CJ Stroud has been uh, a pretty impressive rookie starter for the Houston Texans. Uh, and the most important thing it feels like, as you wrote about Emily, rookie quarterbacks, consistency. We always talk about holding on to the ball and making smart decisions. Well, that's certainly been a standout for CJ Stroud. We wondered how he'd handle a defense like the Pittsburgh Steelers. And man, did he ever show up well, as you had it written down at sportsnet.ca, 151 passes without an interception, which is the longest pick-free stretch to start an NFL career. It sure looks like it's early, but it sure looks like the Texans have a good one in number two overall pick, C.J. Stroud. Yeah, and, and it sort of speaks to just how much, you know, how wild and dramatic the season has been so far around the whole league that here's C.J. Stroud just quietly being so, so good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I know there's always the, like, the feeling out process of, you know, the first couple weeks, is this kid for real? But I think we can say that, yes, because he's also, as as you just noted, it's really, to me, it's the poise that he's playing with that is the most promising. Um, the fact that he just put up 30 points against the Steelers defense that we know has no shortage of QB pressures. Um, the fact that he's actually been sacked quite a bit, but is not seeing ghosts. He's yeah. he's still, um, yeah, he he's making the right moves. He's not taking big risks. He knows his own limits, but he's also, he's just playing really, really clean football. Um, and he's doing so on a team that I I don't think a lot of people had a lot of expectations around, you know, what he could do and maybe yeah. what this team could do overall. Um, obviously not throwing an interception is the most, um, yeah, the most impressive, the most surprising. I actually have a fun little trivia for you. Okay. About interceptions. You're probably going to get it. No problem. We'll but see. I just thought, I just thought this was really fun as I was <laughs> looking through the stats. So Stroud is one of just three quarterbacks to have started all four games so far this season. And he has yet to throw an interception, as we know. Yeah. There are two other. One is Brock Purdy, which that's yeah. not surprising. He's basically a robot. Yeah. Do you know the other one? Do you know the other quarterback who has yet to throw an interception? I, it is shocking to me. I think I do, and I think it's Justin Herbert. No, it is Josh Dobbs. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> I would not have done that one. See, I knew Herbert was on a good stretch. Know, I'm a Chargers <laughs> buff, and I, I, I'm sure I got that one wrong, of course. But I, no, I didn't. But I wouldn't he, have guessed that it was Dobbs. I think Herbert, unless I'm mistaken, I think he threw a pick yesterday. He might have. Leading up to leading up to yesterday, he he was he was perfectly clean, no interceptions. Josh Dobbs, and I mean, they just played the 49ers, so yeah. that's extra extra impressive. Anyway, a little off topic there. We're no, talking like about it. CJ Stroud, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he's just been so so impressive. I'm um, I'm now I'm now excited to watch Houston games, which I've never said before. <laughs> yeah, it felt like, and I always talk about this. It always bugs me with with young quarterbacks in the league, Emily, because so often they go to teams and they're so devoid of talent, and they wind up mm -hmm. blaming the quarterback. And it's like, well, I mean, these exactly. guys played with you know top NCAA players and first round picks, and then. You throw them into these situations and you expect them to get results. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to discount Nico Collins or Tank Dell, but I mean, it's like, I don't know that those guys are true game-changing receivers. Damon Pierce is an okay running back. I just like what C.J. Stroud's been able to do without this incredible cast around him. He's just been super impressive early on. Yeah, for sure. He's making the players around him better, and that's the sign of such a true leader. And I know I was definitely questioning – 
um, you know, which of these rookie quarterbacks is the best setup for success. And I, I'm not sure many of them are yeah. set up well, but I was definitely questioning like, okay, great. Who is he going to throw to? And, and we're seeing, as you just said, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's turning these guys into, into real weapons and he's doing some great things along the way. Uh, last but not least on the calendar tonight, Seahawks and Giants from MetLife Stadium. Giants 1-2, and two, Seahawks 2-1. and one. Who do you like tonight, Emily? These are two teams I'm kind of still on the fence about. I, I, I like Geno Smith. It feels like he's found a nice home in Seattle, but I'm still always kind of – I just haven't seen a lot of Seattle this year, and the Giants we know would love to avoid a 1-3 start on a big year for them. Yeah, it's – I, I kind of have a feeling like we could see a blowout in this one, Ooh. favoring the Seahawks. Yeah. Just because when you look at the Giants, um, Saquon Barkley is doubtful for this game. He's still dealing with that ankle injury. Um, you know, there's only so much Daniel Jones can do. <laughs> but it's, it's really more about the Giants' defense. They've yeah. given up 40 points and then 28 points and then 30 points. And that is just a recipe for disaster, especially when you're looking at the Seahawks who, you know, they kind of got off to a shaky start offensively, but they've had 37 points in back-to-back wins. And so I feel like, okay, they're, they're clicking now. And they've also kind of, I, this is something I didn't give them enough credit for definitely in the, in the off season is just how deep their group of receivers are. Um, They've got a lot of weapons. So I'm kind of, maybe what I'm curious about for this game is just to see, like, we know what we have with DK Metcalf. We know Tyler Lockett. They're kind of the usual suspects um, through the air. I wonder if maybe this is the week that we see the supporting cast get more looks, especially against, you know, a Giants defense that um, through the air has, I'll just say, not been great. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so I hope be... I'm wrong about a blowout. <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> it Wouldn't that be something? Two primetime games in New York in four weeks for the Giants and, Emily's got them being blown out twice. So that's not a great recipe for success. There's, there's only 40 to nothing on Sunday night football to start the year, Emily. It's only going to get better for the Giants, right? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> uh, we hit on some of Emily's takeaways, but there's plenty of more uh, up on our week four article up at sportsnet.ca. She joins us every single Monday, and I'm so thankful that she does. Uh, Emily, great stuff as always. Can't wait to chat with you next week, hey? Thank you so much. I'm already looking forward to it. Take care. Emily Sadler joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. She's our Monday regular. You can check out her NFL week four takeaways at sportsnet.ca. Bills, Dolphins, Christian McCaffrey, uh, some Sunday night football thoughts between the Jets and the Chiefs. All of it up for you there. If you want to follow Emily on Twitter, you can do so. She's at Emmy Sadler on Twitter or X or whatever we call it. We're still calling it Twitter, right? Twitter. It's Twitter. There's no way. It will never be called X. It says X at the top of the site, but the URL still says Twitter, Twitter. so we're calling it Twitter. We, we tweet, but you don't. We what, tweet. Yeah, what, do you, what would you call a tweet now then if I'm it's not send Twitter? An X out. Isn't it just an X? posts? Yeah. Like it that's used to stupid. say when you would. Oh, that's go, right. It, it says tweet post. It, it now says post instead of tweet on the. Tweet was always cooler. Make a tweet. You yeah. ruined it, Elon. Brutal. Uh, Monday Night Football. We're not getting into that one again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't have Julian here. Julian's not here to tell us how much he hates Elon Musk. <laughs> If you missed it, Julian hates Elon Musk. If you get really mad about it, you should tweet him at um, J.K. McKenzie, I think. He'd love to hear about it. Or post uh, at him. Yeah, post at him. Whatever you do on Twitter now. Or X. Uh, Seahawks Giants tonight. Seahawks currently favored by two and a half points. They're two and one. Uh, second in the NFC West, of course, to the 49ers. Giants one and two. Fourth in the NFC East. Geno Smith 
going up against Daniel Jones. It is a 6:15 kickoff from East Rutherford, New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. Uh, we'll dive into whatever happens tonight uh, on tomorrow's program. Uh, Seahawks and Giants for Monday Night Football. Next up for Thursday Night Football, this could be an ugly one in a couple days' time. Uh, Bears and Commanders go October 5th to kick off Week 5 of NFL Action. Bears are 0-4, um, thanks in large part to Justin Fields, and despite Justin Fields playing very well also on Sunday, and uh, the Commanders, they're 2-2. Two and two. Uh, That one goes from Landover, Mich- uh, Maryland on Thursday night. So that'll kick off Thursday night football coming up on uh, a couple days time. But uh, yes, we'll also have some Blue Jays talk coming your way. They have clinched a postseason spot. Uh, we'll look back on Taylor's Kevin Biggio predictions from Friday. Uh, hear more Flames audio on a game day. Of course, it's Flames and Jets preseason game. Six of eight for the Calgary Flames tonight. Very NHL heavy lineup at home for the Calgary Flames. Jacob Markstrom, your starting goaltender. Our Flames coverage gets going at 6 o'clock tonight. Flames pregame show with Pat Steinberg, taking you all the way up until 7 o'clock when we'll have Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call right here on your home of the Flames. It is Sportsnet 960, the fan. When we come back, Matty Rose is going to join us from uh, the big show with Rustic and Rose. I I wish I had a positive one for you again, but uh, the Calgary Stampeders, just limping it out to the end of the season here. 22-15 is the final on Saturday night. They fall to 4-11. and Matty will give us his takeaways from another Stampeders loss. That's next to kick off Hour 2 at Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.